Hello, this is episode 253 and in it, I'm going to be talking about once what some call the fifth elevation of a room, your ceilings. Now, often dealt with as an afterthought or simply considered as a flat surface in which to install your lighting, your ceilings actually offer a huge variety of options design-wise to change the feel and the functionality of the spaces in your home. I've got five tips to share with you to think about when designing your ceilings. And yes, your ceilings can and should be designed whilst you're creating your floor plan and thinking about the rooms and the spaces of your future home. Whether you're renovating or building new, these tips will be useful to review as you navigate your design process, whoever you are working with. And remember, if you'd like to get a transcript of this episode to read and to refer back to later, you can download a free PDF version by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 253. That's the numbers 253. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. As I said in the introduction, I find that ceilings are often forgotten as part of the design process for many homeowners. And look, whilst this might be a, might be a generalisation, I often see this as the case with less experienced building designers and draftspeople when homeowners are DIYing their design or they're working directly with a builder or a building company. What often happens is this, the floor plan is what gets focused on and the arrangement of rooms and spaces all gets decided in the two dimensions of a floor plan. And then in the design process, what happens is what I call elevating the floor plan. So basically a ceiling is created at uniform height throughout the home. The walls kind of tilt up with windows and doors and the roof gets popped on. 
And right there, the opportunity to design your ceiling is lost. And in the process, the three-dimensional qualities of spaces and rooms in your home is created accidentally and without intention. You know, we live in three dimensions, not two. And like the process of including windows and doors and how they're able to change the feel and the functionality and the quality of your home, your ceilings and their design also play a huge role in shaping the way your home can feel and function. So as you're thinking about your home design and you're planning for it and you're working with your team to create it, I'm actually hoping the information that I'm about to share will provide opportunities for you to enhance your home's design overall as you think about your ceiling design itself. So I have five design tips for you for your ceilings. So let's jump into them. Design tip number one is to review your ceiling heights. When determining your ceiling height, there's actually a few things to consider. So firstly, minimum ceiling heights are determined in the building codes of most locations globally. In, in Australia, and in this is similar in lots of other countries as well, the minimum ceiling height for habitable spaces or the spaces that you live and sleep in day to day, that minimum ceiling height is 2.4 metres, which is eight feet in Imperial. Storage areas, service zones, like as, such as bathrooms and things like that, they can usually be reduced to 2.1 metres in height, which is seven feet. Now, as far as I'm aware, I could be wrong, but as far as I'm aware, there are no limitations on what your maximum ceiling height can be. However, many locations, of course, they're going to have restrictions on the overall building heights and the numbers of stories that you can include on a site. And so that by virtue of those those dimensions and those restrictions, that may restrict your ceiling heights overall. And, and you need to be aware that just because you're defining a space as one story because it's one volume, but it's super tall, that may not mean that it's seen as one story in height as far as your local planning authority sees it. So you always need to check that kind of stuff. Many people tell me that they want high ceilings in their home. They want tall ceilings. They've seen it as a way to introduce grandeur. People talk about wanting that wow factor or that sense of volume or space in their home. And traditionally, you know, grand old homes have had tall ceilings and that can be seen as a sign of luxury in a home. However, it is worth remembering that a high ceiling can bring about additional requirements and costs in things like structure, lighting, the glazing that you'll need to choose, the internal and external linings, and it can also be challenging acoustically. Many don't take into account all the consequential impacts and costs when they're briefing their design team about their wish for high ceilings. So make sure that you do consider that, you know, that consequential flow on uh, in your design process and your budgeting if, you know, you're asking your team for tall ceilings. How high is a tall ceiling? How high is a high ceiling? Well, personally, I'm I'm talking about anything that's 2.7 metres, more than 2.7 metres. You know, others may have different opinions, but I think that 2.7 metres is a great generous ceiling height that works efficiently for residential construction. And this is because of the metrics or the dimensions of many of the building materials and components that you'll be using in your home, especially in the walls of your home. So the actual wall lining, the windows and doors, those kinds of things. In most locations, the interior of a home will be lined with plasterboard or drywall. And plasterboard sheets come generally in 1.2 metre widths and 1.35 metre widths as standard. And then they'll come in varying standard lengths. And when installed in a home, they're usually run horizontally. So when you work with the standard dimensions of your wall linings to determine your ceiling heights, you'll actually reduce the labour and the materials wastage required to line the interior of your home. And you'll avoid things having to be cut to measure all the time to achieve the required overall heights of the space. So if you look at a 2.4 metre ceiling height, that will be achieved by stacking two 
1.2 meter wide plasterboard sheets stacked on top of each other side by side running horizontally 1.2 plus 1.2 is 2.4 meter ceiling height now the next standard ceiling height remember i said the plasterboard comes in 1.2 1.35 so the next standard height's 2.55 that is a 1.2 meter plasterboard sheet and a 1.35 meter plasterboard sheet and then 2.7 meters is two of the 1.35 meter wide plasterboard sheets so this will occur in lots of locations around the world. So it's not just, um, you know, understanding this and understanding the materiality of what you're lining your walls with becomes important for you to, to making decisions about how to be efficient about the other dimensions that you're choosing, like your ceiling height, because it has a flow on impact in terms of materials, labor, wastage, all of those kinds of things. So, and, and you know, pretty much globally building uh, materials are done to these kinds of modules so it's always just worth checking in your location what you're working with and how that relates to your own uh, the own metrics for your own project you know my preference uh, is to do 2.7 meters if you can I feel that that creates a generous feeling of spaciousness without it actually being too much especially when it's used in accompaniment with glazing that has a 2.4 meter head height when I worked at Mervac for a long time doing freestanding homes as part of, you know, their senior design team, we conventionally did, uh, when we did uh, two-storey homes, we would do 2.7 metre ceilings on the lower floor with 2.4 metre head height on the glazing. And then we, um, and we'd also do that for single-storey homes as well. And then uh, the upper floor on a two-storey home was a 2.4 metre high ceiling and we had a 2.1 metre head height on the glazing for the upper floor. And we found that that created a really lovely, spacious, generous feel about the home without going over the top in terms of the specifications and the size and those kinds of things. In When we got into very high-end homes, then we would look at increasing the ceiling heights and the the those types of things but when we're looking at conventional construction and trying to be economical and efficient those were the metrics that we worked with so if you are needing to save some cash you can actually reduce those 2.7 meter ceiling heights down to 2.55 meters and use 2.1 meter glazing it's only 15 you know that 2.55 meters it's only 15 centimeters more than the 2.4 but it does make a difference especially in a single story home i find that when you do single story homes all at 2.4 meter ceilings the horizontality of the space with that 2.4 meter ceiling can feel quite low and quite cramped so just giving it that bit of extra ideally 2.7 but if you have to come down to 2.55 now if you're using alternative internal wall linings to plasterboard then check the dimensions okay you will find as i said that most board products will come in a 1.2 meter width uh, by 2.4 meters or 2.7 meters in length they may have a range of other standard sizes similar to plasterboard so just check um, you know you pay for the entire material including the stuff that ends up in the skip bin out the front so you know just trying to be efficient with the materials you use can be really productive in your project what if you do want taller ceilings than 2.7 meters you know or you want large voids or cathedral ceilings or a much greater sense of volume I'm going to talk more about what to consider as we move through this episode. However, something to remember when it comes to the designing of the height of your ceilings is that you don't want to create overwhelm in the feel of your home. 
Think about how you're going to be using and experiencing the spaces in your home. You know, if you're sitting down in a lounge room or you're sitting at a dining table with a, within, you know, a really large open volume with high ceilings, that can actually feel quite imposing and it can lack intimacy. In a family home, that can also be super challenging acoustically as the larger volume and those hard surfaces, they can be really noisy to live with on a day-to-day basis. And if the ceiling height is disproportionate to the floor area, what you can find is that spaces can feel too tall and uncomfortable. This can be particularly relevant in an entry space where people create that double height void at the entry, but the entry space itself isn't too large. And so it feels like this vertical tunnel that you kind of stand in when you arrive in the home. You know, and the other thing is that when ceilings, they're just high the whole way through the house, when you've just used high ceilings the whole way through, the home can actually have a sense of sameness about all the spaces. It can feel a bit more like a museum than a house. You can actually create contrast quite simply by just thinking about using different ceiling heights. And this in turn can create a sense of interest and dynamism in the experience of your home. That sense of compression and expansion can be really fun to play with and create some really interesting effects. And when you do use this effectively, it means that you don't have to go over the top in your ceiling heights because when they're played off against, you know, tighter or lower ceilinged spaces, they can feel, you know, those just increasing the ceiling height in those areas, you know, you come through those compressed spaces into into more generous spaces you know, the generous spaces can feel much more generous and spacious through that contrast of feeling and experience. I think that many people believe that the best way to create drama and spaciousness in the rooms and the spaces of their homes is just to include high ceilings. But there are so many other ways and ways that can be used in combination with a standard 2.7 metre ceiling or a 2.55 metre ceiling, you know, that can work really, really well. So, Let's get on to the next tip because you can then see how height can be thought about in relation to other ceiling design factors. Ceiling design tip number two and ceiling design tip number three, they actually work in partnership with each other. I'm going to talk about them separately so that you can understand the various things to consider and review, but understand that they do impact each other. So ceiling design tip number two is to think about the shape of your ceilings and ceiling design tip number three is to determine how the structure will be designed in order to create the shape plus to accommodate a range of other factors. So let's discuss shape first. A ceiling's shape, it can be driven by the structure or it can be created through add-ons to the structure. And if you want a particularly shaped ceiling, then it's important you'll need to actually inform decisions about the structure in order to enable that. Of course, if you're doing a two-storey home, then you're going to have certain limitations in the ceiling design for your lower floor, for example, because the ceiling on your lower floor is pretty much the underside of your upper storey's floor structure. I've seen some people not understand why they can't have a raked or a cathedral ceiling on their lower floor when they have a second storey over it because they've just not been able to mentally map out the impact of that second storey on the ceiling design in the lower floor. They don't have experience in building. They don't understand those things. So, you, you know... You, of course, might be able to change the ceiling design downstairs if you're willing to push your second story higher, you know, and have a greater zone between the ceiling of your lower floor and the floor of your upper floor to accommodate the extra elements that you're going to add into your structure to create that specifically shaped ceiling on the lower floor. But the most efficient way to create a ceiling is to utilise the home's structure. You may also, though, need need to or want to add bulkheads to your ceiling as well to, or you may want to have a dropped or suspended ceiling in certain locations due to your design wishes. So you're thinking about that structure and then you're thinking where you might need to add onto it in order to create the shape that you want. So a bulkhead, it's just a drop ceiling that it can occur in a part of a room. So 
It can be used for effect. Uh, it can be used to accommodate services in the ceiling space. You know, these services, they might include air conditioning units or in the case of a two-storey home, the plumbing services from the bathrooms and other wet, other wet areas on the upper floor will generally mean that a bulkhead gets added to the lower floor below where those plumbing services are. Bulkheads can also be added over the top of joinery elements, like over the top of kitchen cupboards and things like that. So the kitchen, you know, so that the cupboards actually look more built in and you don't have the exposed tops of cupboards collecting dust and grime. And bulkheads can be added for design effect, you know, to really create that sense of contrast in height that I mentioned earlier to provide opportunity often used in combination with lighting for specific impact. Now, a suspended ceiling or a dropped ceiling by comparison is that that's when the overall ceiling height is lowered. So not just part of it, but all of it might be suspended below the structure. Now, suspended ceilings are more traditionally used in commercial buildings. They provide a lot of flexibility for services. They can be a complete ceiling. They don't just have to be like the tiled ceilings that you see in an office space. You can actually suspend flat ceiling board as a suspended ceiling. And some people do do it in, in um, their homes for various reasons. So as I said, you can shape ceilings to conceal services, to create opportunities for a specific effect. And you can also provide zones for things like lighting and even recessed pelmets for your window furnishings. Now, if you do want to learn specifically about recessed pelmets and about your ceiling design when you're considering window furnishings, make sure you check out my interviews with Evan Montero from DIY Blinds in season 11 of the podcast. He actually shares a lot of information about designing recessed pelmets in your ceiling above your glazing to accommodate and conceal uh, curtain tracks and the roller heads of blinds. Now, when you actually think about the ceiling shape that you want to create, it's important to discuss this early with your design or build team as my ceiling design tip number three of structure will actually need to be informed by this. You can't have the two things working in isolation of each other. You do need to discuss them together. And as I mentioned, it is more efficient to use your structure to drive your ceiling's shape. Also, as I mentioned, if you're doing a two-storey home, the ceiling on your lower floor is going to be largely driven by the floor structure of your upper floor. And then you're going to have bulkheads added where services need to be accommodated to deal with that plumbing from bathrooms and other weird areas on your upper storey. So let's talk though about where specifically, I want to talk about the structure of ceilings where you have your roof overhead. So it might be when you have a single storey home uh, or you've got a single storey extension or an add-on to an existing home or on the back of a two-storey home or we're looking at the upper floor of a two-storey home. So where your roof is the other side of your ceiling. So in residential construction, it's super common for the roof structure to be done as trusses. Trusses are those triangular shaped structural elements. It's really economical way of creating structure that's needed to support the roof. It also provides sloping parts of the structure, the two sides of the triangle where the roof sheeting or tiles can be fixed to directly to it. And then you can have the flat bottom cord of the truss to fix the ceiling to as a flat surface. Now, if you don't want a flat ceiling, then you need to review the structural design of your home's roof. If you're chasing a cathedral style ceiling, for example, where it's it's raked and it rakes up either side on uh, to a central point, it's pitched, or you want a single pitched or a raked ceiling that just goes in one direction, then the structure, of course, is going to need to provide for that. And that may mean using rafters for your roof structure in lieu of trusses. Rafters are pretty much beams for your roof, for want of a better description. 
Or, for example, you may choose to do trusses but do them as an exposed truss uh, because you want that particular aesthetic. So in that way, you'll need to consider how your trusses are actually being built because the roof trusses that get made in truss factories that are normally sort of within a roof space, um, they're not necessarily designed to be exposed as a standard. You know, they work structurally, but they're not the most nicely finished things. They've got nail plates and connection points and things like that. And some people still do use them to be economical or because the aesthetic of their home is kind of along those lines, it's a bit more rustic. They paint them all a single colour to conceal some of that lack of finesse that uh, in how they're actually made. But, you know, it's important for you to review this as part of your design decisions so that what you actually end up with matches your expectations of what you're envisaging. One way that you can achieve a raked internal ceiling uh, or that cathedral style ceiling but still use a truss is to use a truss that's called a scissor truss. Like a pair of scissors, it's a scissor truss. Now, I'm going to let you Google that but this is a truss where the bottom cords of the truss, they're not flat, they're actually pitched to a central point uh, and they're and they're at a lesser pitch than the top cords. Okay, so you've got the top cords both raked to a central point. Instead of just having the triangle, it's like the bottom cord of the triangle is broken in half and pushed upwards slightly. So you've got the bottom cords of the scissor truss uh, at a slightly different lower pitch than the top cords of the scissor truss. Now, this gives you a way of actually using a trussed structure uh, that then that can be more economical than you using rafters and it provides a raked surface for your roof and then it provides a raked surface for your ceiling to be fixed to. Um, and that actually then shapes that cathedral ceiling. Now the rake of the cathedral ceiling, it will not match the rake of the roof itself because of the way that the scissor truss works, but this may not bother you at all. I know lots of people that have made this choice because they wanted the cathedral ceiling, they wanted to use a truss, and uh, it's been a more economical way of achieving that cathedral style ceiling without them using rafters. You know, equally, if you wanted to do a raked ceiling, so just a single pitch ceiling, you might use something that's called a flat truss. So a flat truss is just rectangular in shape, long sort of thin rectangle um, in, instead of a triangle um, shaped or a regular truss. And, you know, you can then pitch your roof from a low point to a high point and then you might have high level glazing. You might have a particular view that you're wanting to capture. You might just want your home to be shaped like that. Now, the benefit of using a truss structure to create that raked or cathedral ceiling, apart from the economics of it, um, they may or may not be less expensive for you than using rafters to shape, depending on what timber supplies are doing and the way your builder builds and all of those kinds of things. But what trusses do do is that they create a zone between where your roof is and where your ceiling gets fixed. And in that zone, you can actually then add insulation. You can put your membranes and your surface, all of your services, if you've got air conditioning ducts and things like that. And it can generally enable simpler construction that uh, helps you provide condensation management and protection of the thermal envelope of your home. Now, it's not impossible to do this with rafters or with exposed trusses, but it does require specific detailing in order to accommodate it. If you put your ceiling hard up against the underside of your roof or you basically have roof with insulation jammed to then plasterboard underneath it, um, then you can actually end up with serious condensation issues. You can end up with soggy and mould-ridden insulation and you can also end up with wet ceilings. So you just need to take all of that into account when you're discussing your roof structure and your roof shape with your design and build team. 
Now, if you want a coffered ceiling or a ceiling that's flat, but it's got a range of exposed beams in a grid, for example, it's often the case in Hampton style homes, they've got that coffered ceiling, um, then ensure that that's included as part of your design approach as well. I think one of the things that really does frustrate me in home design is when structure is used decoratively. So what I mean by this is that the ceiling and the roof gets built how it needs to get built. It's it's all structurally supported and it's doing what it needs to do. And then the aesthetics of the ceiling is achieved by adding a bunch of almost dummy structure, you know, pretend structure. Might be beams or rafters. They're completely unnecessary. They're still chunky. They still look like structure, but they're just used for decorative quality and for specific effect. You know, my preference is that any building, anywhere, anywhere, including our homes, that it actually tells the story of how it's held up, that the structure is honest and that the aesthetic is driven by that honesty. And when any structural elements are simply added, not for structural reasons, but to create a specific aesthetic, for me, it feels pretty wasteful. So, you know, I find that, that I find that when we see decorative or fake beams, you know, fake rafters, fake trusses and those kinds of things, um, that does frustrate me a little bit. Now, remember too, as you're thinking about how you're shaping your ceiling and how you're designing the structure of your ceiling, every corner in your ceiling, be it an internal or an external corner, it's a place for spiders to hang out. It's a place to deal with cleaning. Every suspended flat surface, like those of exposed trusses, for example, it's similarly a great place for spiders, webs and dusts to settle. So consider the maintenance and the cleaning implications of your ceiling design choices as you make them. Now let's move on to ceiling design tip number four, which is to review the finish that you'll use. It's very conventional to use plasterboard and to paint it white. However, your ceiling actually doesn't have to be that way. Even that's what we see in the majority of homes. You don't have to do that. As I mentioned up front, ceilings are considered the fifth elevation of a room. They can offer huge opportunities to impact the feel and the look of a room or a space with how they're finished. And I am seeing homeowners specify things like plywood, uh, oriented strand board or OSB. We had Derek Layfield talking about Durapanel on the podcast just recently, um, or even people just painting their ceiling a specific color that's not white. You also want to review whether you're going to use a cornice and what type of cornice you're going to use as this has an impact on the finish and the look of the ceiling as well. So cornices, they're used to conceal the gap between a wall lining and your ceiling lining. And what cornices do is that they enable less accuracy when installing the lining boards because they just cover any gaps and they tidy things up. So, you know, that's why square setting or having no cornices in a room, it actually costs more because when you're using, uh, if you're wanting square setting, it means that whoever is cutting your wall and ceiling linings, they have to be really accurate and make sure that it fits exactly because they then have to ensure that the, the wall lining and the ceiling lining butt up against each other so that the join can be neatly set with plaster to create that square set join before painting. Whereas if there's a cornice, it doesn't matter if there's a bit of a gap because the cornice is going to cover that up when it goes in. Now, cornices come in so many different shapes, sizes and details. You can have a very simply, you know, a simple coved cornice of different dimensions. You can go through to something quite small and square. You can go through to something larger and more decorative. Now, just be aware of how they'll be painted and how they'll be maintained over time. For example, the cornices that are in my home, they were installed by the original builder who built this place 
you know, 35 years ago. They're, they're pretty large. They're very decorative. They've got a lots of ins and outs and turns and twists and things like that. I think the original builder who was the owner, he wanted something that looked more traditional. Um, but with all of that curving in and out, there's actually this great big ledge that's been created and it's perfect for spiders and dust. And when you live on 80 acres, spiders and dust are kind of a part of life and these cornices provide the perfect home for them. And the cornices being plaster are really hard to clean and maintain. They've got a matte paint on them um, and it's really frustrating. You know, I have to get up there and when I am so inclined um, to to uh, clean them. So, which isn't that often, unfortunately. So, <laughs> now, <laughs> love living in a clean house, hate cleaning. Um, ripping them out, though, it's going to be a massive undertaking and it's really wasteful as well. Um, you know, they're still in really good condition. It just seems really silly for me to, you know, and I think my husband would kill me if um, I said that we were going to pull them all out and then figure out how we clean up the plasterboard because there'll be a gap behind them. So I am considering whether the cornices would look okay in a dark a darker colour if I painted them a dark colour rather than them being white you know we could still have a white ceiling but maybe looking at how they go around whether that would reduce the height of the room too much it's going to be interesting to say so um, you know because the darker colour might conceal the spiders and the dust a bit better um, in white there is no concealing happening <laughs> at all so you know even a mid colour might be interesting so um, I'm weighing this up as part of the decision making about the interior colour scheme for the home. Now, one thing to remember with your ceiling design is that you actually don't have to use the same structure, shape or finish the whole way through your home. You know, varying this can be a really great way to celebrate and draw attention to particular areas in your home and to make a space feel more special than another. I think it's great to review your budget distribution in your project generally and identify where a bit less of a spend can happen in one area and you can invest in specialness in an area that you spend a lot more time in. So it might be that a cathedral ceiling and a special material may just happen in your main living area and then a flat simply corner ceiling is used everywhere else and that contrast will help the difference where you have invested the budget be you know that difference will be much more keenly felt. Now if you're renovating and you're working with existing ceilings and cornices consider how that's going to inform the demolition of walls or overall building elements in your renovation. For example in older homes you might have decorative ceilings and cornices that are very hard to replace or match and actually add to the value of the home plus they're part of its history and its specialness. In the Art Deco Queenslander that we personally renovated, we actually, you know, there were a lot of original ceilings in that home. And so we we chose to install in the bedrooms that had original ceilings, we actually installed robes that didn't go to the ceiling. We let the tops of those cupboards be exposed because we didn't want to disrupt the existing ceiling and the decorative cornice and, and basically cut into the cornice to put that robe up to the top. So we took the robes instead up to the line of the picture rail in the room and that that picture rail ran the whole way around the room it was also the head height of the the door into the room and so there was a nice horizontal alignment uh, around but it didn't disrupt the ceiling it actually let the ceiling just continue now in homes where clients have actually wanted to combine rooms or demolish a complete wall between spaces to create a large open plan area we've then reviewed whether they'd prefer to keep part of the existing wall between the spaces so that they can retain the existing decorative ceilings and cornices that are in both of those rooms. So what that might mean is that instead of removing the whole wall and knocking the whole wall out from, you know, edge to edge and ceiling to floor, 
we might just punch a really wide opening in it um, that still then has the door header hanging going over the top of it. So it's almost like just creating a great big wide opening but leaving part of the wall across the top so that you've got something that still separates the cornices and separates the rooms and keeps those intact and, you know, uh, could just have small nibs on the side or you could take it right to the to the edges of the room depending on what you want to do. When you do that though, you know, you can still enable those spaces to feel very connected and open but the because of that header that's over the top of the opening between the spaces, those ceilings are still two separate ceilings and the cornices can stay intact. And that can sometimes work, particularly if you've got ceiling roses and things like that with the whole geometry and the feeling of the space, the balance of the space, that can be a really good thing to consider. You'll find that matching cornices, if you've particularly got an old home, it can be really, really tricky and it can not achieve great results. Even matching cornices from room to room in an existing space, if you remove that wall completely and you just need to fill in that cornice gap between where those two cornices have, um, are getting cut off, you can find that's really, really hard to do. And making good, in inverted commas, on old ceilings when you do pull out, you know, demolish whole walls in existing houses, that can create a lot of unexpected expense. There can be a lot of labour involved in making good. So just consider this as you're, as you're planning your renovation and you're reviewing it and you want to think about that ceiling design overall. Now, my last tip when it comes to your ceiling design, tip number five, that's about lighting. So this lighting I'm talking about can be artificial or nighttime lighting and it can be daylighting with skylights and cholesterol glazing as well. It's fairly conventional for homeowners to use downlights for their home's lighting. However, I'm finding as people do become more aware of air tightness, they're wanting to avoid punching their ceiling full of holes to accommodate those downlights, then they're considering lighting alternatives. This can include track lighting where it might be that, you know, they have a, a series of track lighting where the ceiling penetrations, then they're smaller, they occur with less frequency. Uh, it can also mean that they're using a specific type of downlight that actually still maintains the air tightness for the ceiling. And it can also mean using uh, wall lighting and washing light over the ceiling as a means of creating ambient light in a space or a room rather than having downlights in the ceiling. Now, lighting can be used to highlight a ceiling's design as well. So if you're investing in a specifically designed ceiling that you want to have some design impact for your home, then review how the lighting is actually going to add to that. Don't just think about how the light fitting is going to look in the daytime as a feature, but also look at how the kind of light that it's going to cast at night as well. Uh, there are loads of funny and not so funny but definitely awkward pictures doing the rounds uh, on social media where the shape of a ceiling and the lighting choices have meant that there's some strangely shaped shadows and weird patterns overall. So think about all of that when you're looking at your lighting choices for as part of your ceiling design. Now, I have a couple of episodes about lighting specifically in season 11 of the podcast that are really worth listening to for lighting design. Uh, we also talk um, about understanding how to think about lighting in regards to your ceiling uh, and how you're going to incorporate it into your ceiling design as well. So I'll pop the links to those in the resources. Now, when it comes to natural lighting, your ceiling can be a zone to include skylights, for example. So it might be sky windows like the Velux skylights. It could be a solar tube skylight. You can also shape the structure of your ceiling and roof to provide high level glazing such as clerestory windows. Now, the inclusion of natural light like this and the opportunity to see outside to light and to views, be it of sky or something else that's near your home or around your site, it can do wonders to improve the feel and the functionality of your home overall. You may find that this is a way to deal with a challenging orientation and for you to access better quality natural light. 
uh, regardless of which direction your site faces. You may also find this is a way to provide natural light to a very internalized space in your floor plan. If your floor plan is deep or wide, you know, so that you can get natural light into the guts of your home where that space might be away from the natural light that's at the edge of the floor plan. I've really loved including skylights in some of my designs where, for example, a client wanted to stand in the shower and be able to see the sky and the weather as part of their start to the day or to lie in bed and see the night sky from their pillow. I've also included clerestory glazing and shaped the roof and the ceiling to accommodate that so that we could bring north and northeasterly light into the rear living spaces in a home that was south to rear. There's lots of ways that you can do this that can be really fantastic. And the great thing is that light actually guides the eye. So whether it's natural or it's artificial light, you can use light as a focal point and a way to lead the eye both to the light source and in the case of a natural light source like a window or a skylight through to outside. And this is a really fantastic thing to do to accentuate specific features in your home, to create a greater sense of spaciousness, to enhance that indoor-outdoor connection and to really make the most of your ceiling design and really change change the way that that feels and functions. So as I said, make sure that you check out those lighting resources in season 11. I also discuss lighting in more detail and have checklists and those kinds of things inside Home Method as well. So let's recap on those five ceiling design tips. So design tip number one is to review your ceiling height. In an effort to create spaciousness, don't make the mistake of creating overwhelming spaces and volumes that lack intimacy and are challenging acoustically. Consider how your ceiling heights work proportionately to the floor plan size and area. Use contrast and don't feel you have to use the same ceiling height throughout your home. And look at standard ceiling heights based on the materials you're using uh, in order to be economical and efficient. In most traditional residential construction, this will be 2.4 metres, 2.55 metres and 2.7 metres. Design tip number two for ceiling design is shape. So remember the shape of your ceiling is largely determined by your home structure. So if you want a specific shape, discuss this early. You can also add on elements to change the shape of your ceiling or to help joinery look more built in, plus to remove the need to have exposed tops of cupboards and things like that. And the shape may also need to accommodate services and can also conceal elements such as air conditioning and blind or curtain pelmets. Ceiling design tip number three is structure. So determine whether your desired shape is achievable through conventional construction methods like trusses or whether you'll need to use different types of structure to create it. Review this choice against your budget as well and consider how your structure is going to be designed to mitigate the risk of condensation and to provide necessary zones for insulation and services that may be required between your ceiling and your roof. Ceiling design tip number four is finish. So most will choose plasterboard, but you don't have to. And there are lots of other far less messy options you could specify. As well as the material, consider the colour you'll choose and how it may impact the feeling and design of your rooms and spaces. Also review your cornice, whether you're going to include one and what design it'll be if you do. And if you're renovating, review how your existing cornice and ceiling might impact how you'll change rooms or demolish walls between the existing spaces. And lastly, ceiling design tip number five is about lighting. Both artificial and natural lighting give an opportunity to add interest to your ceiling design and to improve the functionality and the experience of your home. They also provide great focal points and a way to guide the eye, which can, in accompaniment with other design factors, it can enhance a sense of spaciousness in your home. And accessing natural light through how you shape and design your ceiling and roof can be a great way to deal with a challenging orientation or ensure parts of your home that are away from the windows at the edge of the floor plan are still going to be lit by natural light. 
Now, this was this episode had a lot um, put into it. So if you do want to download the, the PDF transcript, remember that you can do that. You can print it out, save it off somewhere so that you've got it to refer back to by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 253. That's the numbers 253. Uh, I've got all of the details and the links of other resources that I've mentioned there as well so that you can check that out. Who knew ceiling design involves so many decisions, hey? Look, this can happen in so many parts of your home design and unfortunately many aren't aware of what to consider or that there are even other options from what they're being offered. So my last tip to you is this. Ensure that a reflected ceiling plan is included in your documentation or drawing package. So you've actually got a way of seeing what your ceiling design is. And you can also lay out your lighting positions in a drawing as part of your package of documentation. This is really going to help clear up confusion. It's going to provide information that can be accurately priced by your builder. Unfortunately, I have reviewed far too many designs where it was clear that the homeowner had no idea what the ceiling design was going to look like that the raked cathedral ceiling that they actually wanted wasn't going to be achievable because of the structure of the roof or that the bulkhead or drop ceiling was going to be needed in a large open plan area of their home due to the position of the upstairs bathroom. And so many times this kind of stuff happens and you're not finding out until you're actually on site and under construction and there's nothing you can do about it. So you can avoid this by ensuring that you're informed, that you have the right conversations with your team and that you're getting the right documentation as well. If you'd like to be more informed as you research, design, build or renovate your future home, then continue diving into the other resources available on Undercover Architects platforms. And I'd also suggest checking out Home Method by heading to www.homemethod.com.au. You can work more closely with me there. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Bye.